Hello and welcome back to Molecule 2 Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. As always, I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and welcome back to the show. And today we have an absolute treat for you, where we welcome back uh, the wonderful Mr. Alan Shaw, who is consulting, CFO, special advisor, and board member of several biotech companies, including Portage Biotech. Alan's episode last July is one of the most popular episodes we've ever, 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 ever had on the podcast. And um, I think what was particularly brilliant about Alan's original episode, which I encourage if you haven't heard it to go back and listen, was just the insight that he gave from a biotech perspective. As Alan sits on the board of so many different companies, he's able to give a a great kind of broad perspective of what's going on from the sponsored drug development uh, perspective. And so what we thought would be good, I suppose, nine months on is to get Alan back on the podcast and see how things have changed during that time. The world has changed since last summer so we wanted to get his thoughts on you know what the impact is on the outsourcing space and just what trends he's seeing and my guest certainly did not disappoint so on today's episode listen out for actually alan's own view on how he thought about investments and changed since the last time we we spoke um really really interesting to hear how Alan talks about the challenges for biopharma companies in terms of their negative enterprise value, cash burn. And whilst that is difficult for lots of firms, it also signals opportunities for others. And he gives a great example from his experience at Portage Bio. Um, he, we get into a great conversation about you know what kind of newer breed of biotech companies are we, are we seeing and what does that mean? for a reliance on outsourcing which is uh, for anyone in the outsourcing space on the vendor side is something that you want to pay attention to Uh, we get into a little bit detail around oncology in uh, cgt area and why alan is not all that convinced that they are always a sure bet given his experience in investment and raising billions of pounds of fund and doing a whole load of m a deals I also picked Alan's brains on what he looks for as an investor and what typical investors of biotech companies are looking for at the minute. Uh, really interesting stuff at the back end of today's show to listen out for. Um, for background, Alan is a senior biopharma executive and board member with 20 plus years experience in transactional international work. He is a five-time public company CFO and has served on six public boards, which includes chairing of two audit and two compensation committees. He is currently involved in a portfolio of healthcare activities, including serving as Portage Biotech's Chief Financial Officer. Prior to that, Shaw has also served as Managing Director and Life Science Practice Leader, Alvarez and Marcel's Healthcare Industry Group, and he was also the CFO for Serono. He is a really great guy and one that's kind enough to give us um, the insights as always, thank you to you, yes, you, for listening to Molecule to Market. Um, please subscribe on your app if you haven't already. 
leave us a review and suggest and recommend us to a colleague that you come across. Uh, we're continuing to see podcast following grow and that is thanks to you guys and your loyalty. So we appreciate you very much. Thanks always to my team for pulling today's podcast together. Um, they are the best. And if you haven't already, please pick up a copy of my book, The Foundering Founder, which you'll find at all good book outlets. And beyond that, please enjoy today's episode. Mr. Alan Shaw, welcome back to Molecule to Market. Ah, uh, Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be back. It's great to see you and great to be here. Well, the pleasure is all mine. And as we talked uh, previously, your episode in July 2022 has uh, gone on to become one of our kind of most popular episodes uh, that we've ever had on Molecule to Market. And so thank you so much for giving us the insights back then. And that brings us nicely to where we are today and bringing you back on to give our listeners a bit of an update on what's going on from a from a biotech perspective. Before we jump to that, Alan, if uh, any of our listeners haven't heard the first episode with you on, and I encourage you listener to go back and please have a listen to Alan's excellent uh, episode, just give our listener a bit of a flavor, a kind of a quick in a nutshell of for you know who you are and uh, what kind of things that you do. Happy to do so. And uh, in, in a nutshell, I'm a, a, a five-time public company chief financial officer. Uh, I've been involved with larger companies like, like Serono. Um, that was at the time the third largest biotech company in the world with over $2 billion of uh, top line revenue and operations in over 40 countries. Uh, more recently, uh, I was at Syndax, an increasingly relevant clinical stage uh, oncology company, which I helped take public several years ago, and currently at Portage uh, Biotech, which is a uh, an exciting immuno-oncology company that has a number of interesting uh, shots on goal with uh, real catalysts coming up in, in the near term. Suffice to say, I know what big looks like, I also know what good looks like, as well as what bad looks like, and I can quite roll up my sleeves and quite entrepreneurial and know how to get things done. All said, I've been involved with raising over $4 billion of public and private financings over the years, including several IPOs, and have been involved with uh, the sourcing, the development and commercialization of numerous drug products across an array of therapeutic areas. And lastly, I've had the privilege and burden of being a seven-time public company uh, board of director being tasked with both a audit committee chair, uh, which I used to think was the worst part of governance until I got tasked with uh, being the compensation chair, which is simply the worst part of governance. So it's fair to say you certainly have the credibility to be on this podcast, Alan, given, <laughs> given and you, you, you talked about raising $4 billion. I'm going to come back to that because I don't think we chatted about investment and tips for investment uh last time but i would love you i'd love to pick your brains on that but before we kind of get into the the bulk of the episode today where more than anything i want you to paint a picture of what you're seeing in the market in in terms of your own uh various roles that you do has anything massively changed in the last year from your focus and the time that you're spending in different places um because appreciate that you have you're a busy man you have lots of uh lots of different roles but understand that you've uh, you've spent more time um, helping one uh, business in particular that's very very exciting based on what I understand 
Uh, no, a- a- absolutely. You know, like everything, everything continues to evolve. And I, I would say I'm, I'm involved with a portfolio of activities. I've, I'm on a board of a very interesting company that's going public right now through a reverse merger. Uh, and I've also decided to kind of push all my chips in the middle and, uh, and kind of consolidate my bets. I think one of the beauties of the role that I was in is you have a catbird seat um, in terms of different activities, and you can evaluate the, the teams that you're involved with, the fundamentals of the opportunities. And as things start to appear to, to really solidify, you have the opportunity to kind of you know reallocate your time and, and take a deeper, deep, make a deeper commitment and become more vested with that. And, and that's certainly the case with uh, Portage Biotech. I initially started with them on a fractional basis, and as as we've evolved the company and moved it along, uh, the, you know the business fundamentals have uh, really outrivaled anything else that I, I I really see. You know, both from a personal perspective and and to me, you know, I do have an investor's lens on it because I'm investing my time and as a as a um, opportunity cost with how how you uh, associate yourselves and deploy your time. So I, I'm I'm quite um, quite I got a lot of conviction on on the programs that are in place and the people that are involved with that, and I, I think me moving all of my chips into the center of the table I think un- underscores my uh, commitment and my conviction. Yeah, it absolutely does, and congratulations on on that. It sounds uh, you know you always strike me as a very sensible guy, so I'm sure if that's the path you're taking, it it's uh, there's lots of rationale behind it, and I suppose a uh, exciting piece from us at Molecules Market is we are going to have uh, Ian Walters, um, who is the, I believe, the CEO from Portage on the podcast at some point very, very soon. I believe I'm interviewing him next week. So looking forward to bringing the story of the business. Uh, and we can get all the dirt on you, Alan, from Ian and bring that <laughs> and to, to find, find, find out what you're really like. So so when we, when we spoke last summer, the, the the world was a changing place in terms of you know there was a interest rates were just starting to go up there was a few hints of recession I think when we talked in June since that time the macro picture if we start I suppose at the broadest level has really evolved you know at some speed in terms of what we've seen from an inflation supply chain costs um, loads of issues uh, and obviously the the impact of the Ukraine war as well. Talk to us about how you've seen these macro factors kind of impact the biotech space, and more specifically, it'd be great to get your take on what that what that's meant from an investor perspective. Because my understanding is, you know, you've got high interest rates now. It's a it's a appetizing option for investors um, that have you know had their fingers burned by rolling the dice on biotechs in the past. So, love your thoughts on on some of the bigger issues going on in the world. No, I think your uh, your observations are are spot on. You know, we we're governed by the macro environment, and sometimes we get lost in the trees. But you know, I think situations like now uh, is a good reminder that we operate in a macro view, and you know, we have to also understand that you know it's it's zero sum. You know, we've had a really wonderful run when money was free and the interest rates were zero. And as a good friend of mine once has continues to say the pendulum doesn't stop in the middle and you know we were now living with the other side of that pendulum right now and and there is cost to money money doesn't stay free and, and i think it, it 
and we can come back to it later on about you know its implications and and what what, what lessons should have been learned from all of this uh you know in a, a simply resource allocation and focus but we we can certainly elaborate on that but uh, um so i think uh, uh, given the macro backdrop i i think that that has really had a major impact on the financial spigot you know, I, I think while things were going good, the spigot, the punch bowl was full and continued to remain full. It was constantly being replenished. Uh, that 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 has not had continued to be the case. I think just as we were observing the uh, in in the public fish markets, the deterioration of SVB. You know, I think that's really reflective uh, of of the tide going out and. and and that's just again all driven by the macro phenomena, because to your point, when uh, people have alternative investment options, you know you can take more of a risk off approach to your investments. You know that's you know the two year treasuries are like five percent. You know uh, that's not a bad deal. Well, that's the issue, isn't it? If you if you're a, a savvy investor and you're you know you've got cash in your in your pocket, it it does beg the question. And if you can get five percent, five six percent returns, you know why, why you know why roll the dice on a, a, an early phase biotech? Is that you know across the portfolio companies that you work with? Is that some of the challenges that you're facing? That that Ellen, I love the analogy. You you're, you seem to be a master of analogies, I have to say, uh, Alan. But the punch bowl, punch bowl not being replenished, is that the the reality that the biotech companies are living in now, which is. Hey, it's not getting replenished like it was. So there aren't as many investors coming to the table. Is that is that what you're seeing across the board? Yeah, I mean, if you peel the onion a little bit further on that, what you what you're, you're what, what you're seeing is that there aren't there is not as much, uh, and I think it's manifesting. You can see it in this flow of funds. You know, money is leaving the sector as opposed to necessarily coming into the sector. You know, there's been a flight of the generalists or the tourists, as some people put it. Uh, because when you were looking for, you know, additional juice, you know, this was a good place to play. And a high tide lifts all boats. Now we're seeing a low tide. So, you know, people don't want to catch a falling knife. And, and I think also, you know, while there are great opportunities out there, you know, I think people. I think there's been a lot of people who've been hoping that things. This was temporary. That this was just a, a storm and not a, a, a paradigm shift. And I think that there's been a lot of people caught out by that um, on, on a lot of different levels. Uh, because if you wait and, and hope for better times, the only thing you're really doing is you're you're burning, burning, continue to burn cash. You continue to weaken your balance sheet, and your cost as a natural byproduct of that is the, your cost of capital will naturally go up. That, that which seems very obvious, right? I would say it's almost a, bl- a glimpse of the obvious, but it, it's it's really amazing the number of management teams and, and boards that don't seem to really understand that. You know, they, they, they keep looking at, well, my valuation's too low. I can't raise money now. But, you know, what makes you think it's going to get better? <laughs> <laughs> On that point then, Alan, if you, do you think it is going to get better? I'm, I'm asking you to go out on a limb here, but d- based on your tone there, you it suggested to me that you don't think 
this is going to be, you know, a quick kind of pendulum swift and, you know, uh, shifting them back the other way. Do you, are you seeing this more as a, a longer period of time where we're, we're in a, a downturn for a, for a longer period of time and it's going to be tricky for the next couple of years or so? You know, I, I mean, I, I, yes, I think what you, what, what you, uh, detect is, 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 is correct. I am, uh, I, yes, things will get better. It's just a matter of when will they get better. And I, and I think, you know, in terms of the pace of the pendulum, the pendulum was very much stuck on the other side for a while. Uh, so maybe the pendulum needs a little bit more grease and oil to move a little better, but, uh, it, you know, I think when you have, you know, I look at one metric to me as a fundamental metric is that there's in, in the bio farm or biotech space, uh, there's 200, over 200 companies approximately that have negative enterprise value. Now that means that there's no technology value subscribed to them and that they're actually trading below the amount of cash that they have. You know, that's not a good place to be, you know, are they all, uh, so they're all challenged in terms of how do you finance yourself? How, how do you finance yourself to a meaningful place, you know? And and, uh, and so then that's that's one thing. Um, but it makes it. But the, the on, on the other thing is, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, is there a business? You know, I think I read something recently, and and, and I think there's analogies to this. And if you go back to you know, late two thousands when. Um, when we were also in a bit of an ice age in, in terms of biotech, uh, and, and it comes down to where we stop, we stop thinking about these these activities as a business and view them as science experiments. And at the end of the day, you know, you need you, you need to have something that is not only scientifically valid, but you need it to or clinically valid. It needs to also be, you know, commercially valid. And when you find yourselves with over a hundred caught TCD19 companies that are uh, out there, you know, I, I would say that, you know, we've, we, we've, as an industry, uh, have made a bit of a mistake in terms of our, our resource allocation. Uh, there's a problem there. You know, it's been done in a silo. It's not being done on a, on a macro level. And, you know, no one should be surprised that, you know, so some of this is, is what I would say just to be succinct is a lot of this situation has been the, both the good and the bad has been driven by the macro and we got to stand that. And then within that, you know, I think you got to manage yourselves responsibly and, and, and view this as a business and not just as, as a science experiment. Because I don't think you're going to win that way. If anything, you're going to co commoditize great science, and I think we've seen that with over with 14 uh, commercialized uh, PDL1 channel checkpoints on the market with more in development. You know, that's you know, all we're doing is commoditizing good science, and I don't think we're necessarily uh, deploying resources very efficiently. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting perspective. And on the on the CAR T thing you you mentioned that then that. Just in the last few months, I've definitely, in the conversations I've had, there definitely feels like there's a bit of a cooling off of the kind of that sexy end of the market that, you know, and I suppose my question to you is, am I correct in thinking that you feel there's been a bit too much emphasis on that part of the market where, you know, cell and gene therapies, for example, have been, uh, you know, 
flavor of the month, so to speak, and, and you know, rightly so to extend because of their kind of incredible nature. But do you think that has kind of taken people's eye off the ball where everyone's kind of gone, you know, put all their eggs in that basket, so to speak? Um, or maybe I've misunderstood what, what you meant by, by the kind of focus on that area. Uh, you know, I think that was an illustrative example uh, of one, one particular program where there seems to be an undue amount of resource allocation. I think you can certainly look at that in oncology too. There's been a, a lot, when you look at investment dollars, a lot of money has gone into that area as, as, as well. You know, well, and at the same time, I would say that there's there's a lack of money, or not as much money proportionately for sure, going into what I would call common chronic diseases. Um, and and that that that's a, I think that that comes back down to the business of, of biotech, and that you know the, uh, certainly when it comes to oncology, uh, it's just more capital efficient. You can get you know uh, I'd say the clinical process to commercialization is much more efficient because of you know biomarkers and and all um and also given the risk benefits you know when you're talking about terminally ill patients the bars are a little bit lower too so there's a little bit more give and take i think the process right now for chronic diseases are just so much more capital intensive you know it's it's certainly a big boy's game um and i think speaking of big boy's game Gene and cell therapy, I think, has really become a very capital-intensive area too, and I think it's a big boys' game. Uh, and you've got folks like Novartis who's been spending a lot of money on it, who continues to have a hard time commercializing it because while the science is great, you know, the ability to scale, particularly autologous cell therapy, is incredibly challenging. I mean, I think it's daunting. When I think about when you just go into a hospital for a surgical procedure, you got people marking the limb that they're going to operate on and they confirm it five times before they do it. You know, so you're going to extract one of my, uh, my T cells, you're going to ship it around the country, you'll add another receptor on it, manipulate it a little bit, ship it back, and you're going to get it into the right person. <laughs> you're listening to Molecule to Market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. You said something interesting before, obviously, when you were talking about the negative enterprise value of some of these biopharma and small biotech companies trading below the amount of cash that they have. So let me ask you, you know, from the entrepreneurial side of me says, there might be some interesting opportunities in those businesses. So are you seeing any, uh, I suppose, deal-making, you know, in downturn, there can also be opportunities for companies to acquire technologies, acquire smaller businesses, or acquire even the the talent within those businesses. Are you seeing any of that within uh, the wider industry or indeed any of the, the companies that you're involved in? Uh, y- yes and yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a necessary by- byproduct uh, of the dynamics that we've talked about, and it has presented a um, generational opportunity to really pick up technology at, at rock bottom prices. We, uh, you know, they are baby. There's definitely babies getting tossed out with the bathwater, you know, and there's definitely bathwater that definitely needs to be tossed as well. <laughs> uh, but there, there's definitely some gem, gems in there. And I think it's a necessary part of the 
of what needs to be done as part of the healing process. You know, I kind of, you know, uh, tongue in cheek refer to those 200 negative enterprise companies as, you know, the empty beer bottles from the decade party that yeah. requiring that require recycling. Uh, you know, the floors from the party are still a little sticky. You know, we have to mop them still. So there's still some work to be done there. Um, but 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 with that said, there are opportunities too, great opportunities. And, you know, actually at Portage, we actually took advantage of that. The middle of last year, we picked up uh, an, a, a suite of adenosine assets. Arguably, we actually had a KOL day in early March uh, that's available on our website. But it was it really illustrated, you know, the industrial logic behind our transaction and underscored why we thought these assets were best in class. And 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 and, and we picked them up for twenty million dollars effectively of stock. You know, it was really the co- the real the I mean it, that's obviously an economic cost, but uh, you know, we thought it was a real great deal for all the stakeholders involved. Um, particularly given the company's development shops and fear. And one of the industry regs actually, you know, people asked me, did you think you paid too much? You know, uh, I thought I thought it was a really good, compelling transaction. But rather than pointing to what I thought, I just called out the fact that, you know, Gilead had paid about $350 million for a similar suite of assets in terms of class. I wouldn't say the same class because, again, I, I go back to us being best in class. But... Um, similar type of programs uh, for 350 million. So I thought 20 million in comparison was a good deal. And then I think Fierce Biotech uh, wrote a, a, a piece on it. And they, they, uh, they invoked images of pirates' treasure chests and in inv- terms of pillaging and plundering. It wasn't exactly the terms we were thinking about uh, the transaction, but I think it did underscore the perceived value um, that we captured by making such a deal. And if you'd done that transaction two years earlier, what would that have, I mean, pre- appreciate you're speculating historically now, but I presume it would have been a much bigger transaction or, you know, something completely different. Uh, it would definitely be a something beyond, beyond probably something we would have done sure. uh, at, at the time. But, you know, Gilead paid 350 for their, uh, their access to assets with Arcus. So, you know, there's, there's, there's precedent transactions that, that suggest much, much, much bigger numbers. Obviously they were in different times, but we, you know, we, 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 um, and again, we also thought that there were a lot of lessons learned, unlike our other program, which is the best in class, I mean, first in class, uh, type of modality. Um, and denosine is actually a very well understood biology and everyone accepts that it has a very meaningful role. In, in, in a potential meaningful role in, in oncology therapeutics, but it similar to much of the IO hypothesis, it hasn't really lived up to uh, the way it's been advertised. Uh, so you know, I'd say it's a little polarizing. You know, people either like it or they don't. But it's evidenced by the the amount of programs that are in 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 um, the industry, whether they're specific adenosine programs or their other. Uh, antibody programs at some of the pharmaceutical shops that are targeting the similar, the same pathways. Um, there's a lot of interest in the area, but people have not been able to unlock that value. And we think as a fast follower, there's an incredible amount of lessons learned from, from doing so. 
And that's what we're looking to do. And I think the KOL event that we um, conducted yesterday with some really thoughtful uh, thought leaders uh, in, in this space, uh, I think really shed a light uh, on, uh, on the leadership position we're looking to take, take the mantle on in terms of our programs. Well, thank you for sharing the kind of insights from Port Arger's perspective to hear how that deal came about and how it, uh, you know, obviously went through. And congratulations on what sounds like a a great purchase to bolster the business. And then, if we if we kind of look at the the market kind of across the board and what you're seeing, are you seeing a new breed of biotech coming through? In in, in it might be similar to yourself, where it's a very lean business that's picking up uh, great deals but just interested in obviously you know and i love your your hangover analogy right you know you've had 10 years of partying and then a hangover but as a, as a consequence of change can often lead to new entrants to the market or, or businesses that look and feel differently like new entrants that just have a, a a different dynamic about them are you seeing a new breed of biotech or anything like that I, I think, you know, it's what we're seeing is Darwinism at play right now, and you need to either uh, adapt or die, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, I don't mean to be so, so harsh, but I, I think, you know, when given back to the punch ball, you know, they were, resources were plentiful. So people didn't have to allocate resources. They just spent resources. They did it because they could. And now I think uh, what you're seeing is is a, a renewed focus on, on uh, cash burn. That's becoming a, a very meaningful metric, and people looking at cash burn relative to market cap. You know, they view that as a level of sustainability. You know, you know what kind of dilution are you be looking to impose on your shareholders based on your burn rates? So you know, people are looking looking uh, looking at that very much. They're looking at, at efficiency you know i don't think you're going to see people building out big footprints anytime soon i think there's probably going to be um much more reliance on outsourcing uh things uh and, and work on you know doing things and focus on de-risking before you do things and gate gate a lot of your expenses and slim down you know, I think a lot of people had big eyes, but uh, eyes much bigger than what their stomachs could do. And now I think it's a, a matter of, of, of rationalizing the programs. And I really think focus and capital resources uh, are going to uh, distinguish the uh, the survivors from those that are not as lucky. Reliance on outsourcing. I am 99% sure that most ears have just pricked up amongst many <laughs> of our, our listeners who are who operate in the kind of outsourcing ecosystem, you know, whether it be in early phase CROs, uh, you know, clinical trial businesses, uh, larger clinical CROs, or it could be CDMOs, packaging companies, testing companies, the whole, the whole kind of supply chain that our podcast is, is aimed at. So from your perspective, and certainly what, what I'm seeing as well is companies, at least biotech companies do not want to tie up all their cash in in you know in building a new facility uh or you know in building lots of sales teams in-house or you know having lots of an in-house laboratory that's something that i saw in the last decade particularly living in boston i saw companies doing that when 
when things were great. Listening to you, are you expecting that you know, your stomach and eye analogy is a great one in terms of thinking, well, actually businesses are going to kind of be a lot more leaner and actually rely on the outsourcing space a lot more. Is that something that you think will be a good thing for the space, meaning that there isn't, they aren't burning through as much cash and it's being done on a more, I suppose, manageable, sustainable way by using the outsourcing providers that are in the market? I think it'll become, you know, the stewards who deploy their cash uh, vigilantly. And I think, you know, use it relying on outsources, not building up a lot of fixed costs, I think are very important because it enables you to pivot when you need to pivot. And and I think, I think again, taking a step back, you know, in terms of funding uh, your programs, you know, there I think there's, I mean, we can get into a whole bunch of different approaches, but I think they're, they're fundamentally there is the band-aid approach uh we need you you live hand to mouth until you get to your next inflection point which is which is a lot easier said than done particularly when uh when you're seeing a lot of delays in clinical programs and trials and even if you know the program costs aren't going to be spent because uh the delays of the trials because obviously it's a direct correlation, you're still burning overhead. So you're actually shortening your runway. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's laced with a lot of, um, uh, peril. Uh, and then I think there's the, you know, a more holistic approach to financing, which is, you know, recapitalization and, and bringing in, you know, investors that provide credibility to your story. And, 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 but those folks, aren't interested in the band-aid financing. They want to know that you know you're financed beyond your inflection points. And and I think if you can demonstrate, you know, kind of demonstrate how you can be capital efficient with doing these things uh, while maintaining the integrity of your studies, I, I think you're gonna be able to, you know, you're gonna prevail when everyone's competing for capital from uh, from other from other investors. And you, you mentioned cl- the clinical trials space there. I mean, are you seeing anything from a, you know, increasing delays or, you know, a missing of deadlines, um, you know, pushing back just because of the cash situation? Are you seeing anything that's delaying, uh, which ironically is delaying things because speed is everything <laughs> in this space? Yeah, I would say putting cash aside, it seems like programs just seem to, from what I'm hearing uh, anecdotally, they're getting sites opened. Uh, there seems to be some legacy issues from COVID where there's just, un- and we're seeing it, right? People are uh, having problems with just human resources availability and, 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 and the sites are no different. So there seems to be a little bit of a, a bottleneck there. Um, and I've heard again across, across this board that studies seem to be taking a little bit longer than people want them to. So, you know, that's just... And I think that's consistent with things that we've seen for a long time, but it's just, it's human nature. Things generally cost more or take longer, but, but I, I would say things are being extended, are, are taking generally a little bit longer to get patients accrued and, and, and things like that. Again, I think it depends on the modality and different areas that you're, you're, you're going after, as well as the quality of your sites. You know, my understanding is if you've got investigators that are bullish on your story, uh, you know. So that 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 your your accrual rate will be different than somebody where the investigators are not bullish behind. Yeah, 
and I'm, it's you know it's always like reading the tea leaves, right? But I, I would I, I would um, go on to say that I think there are going to be companies, and I'm sure there are already companies who need to run that last killer experiment. And I've talked to a couple of uh, folks in the CRO space, and it, it, there seems to be an opportunity to partner and to kind of uh, you know there's different constructs available where they help bridge you know the gap in order to get to some fundamental de-risking opportunities which you know i think in this industry from for most of these operating companies the only real currency that we have is data so the ability to create data is so much is so fundamental you've led me nicely effortlessly into my next question i only have a couple left because i know we're having a a shorter conversation we don't want to give we don't want to give too much of alan we don't want to give the whole game away today we're going to get you back on again later this year hopefully so when you talk about the de-risking element of of the sector one thing that i'm observing in conversations i'm having are there's definitely seems to be a bit of a shift towards considering more risk sharing amongst vendor relationships uh, from biotech companies and i suspect it comes from a place of well you've got to trade on something and if you can't trade on paying for services then you've got to maybe give up whether it be royalties or, or whatever the kind of mechanism is for payment you know is that something you are seeing or you expect to see more of whilst you know, whilst you know for all the things you've said, where companies try to hold on to cash a little bit longer, while they try not to burn through their cash, they have to find innovative ways to find the support and expertise they need, which would be outsourcing, but not necessarily follow the traditional path and actually spend all the money at the same time. Um, no, I, I think that I think everything is should be on the table. You know, as you look at being resourceful in terms of how do you bridge things. Uh, to get to validate inflection points. Um, so, you know, my sense is, you know, you, you can work out with convertible loans. You know, that seems to me to be, uh, you know, if I was a, um, I am an operator. If you, somebody came to me with a convertible loan proposition that wasn't too onerous where I have to pay today, and you're willing to convert it into my equity at a price above the market showing showing conviction, right? That there there is much more value here while setting a high watermark. Um that that the that the operator can point to saying, look, people believe in us, there's conviction here. That they're putting their money where their mouth is. I think that could be that could be powerful. I don't know. Certainly what you suggested in terms of giving them uh, some sort of tail. Yeah. I, I would just say you got to be careful a little bit because, you know, if you want to have a, a, a big pharma partner, again, this is all relative to programs, you don't want there to be too much overhead <laughs> yeah, yep. on, the, on the programs. So, uh, and it also mad depends if you got multiple programs, you use an equity, might be, you're, you're potentially diluting all your programs, on the other hand, not be as either. So I think there's a number of different ways to put at to skin a cat, but uh, I, I think this is a a great opportunity for those relationships to at least for people that consider yeah i i agree i think it's a it's a good time to be entrepreneurial i would say in these uh in these times last question or last uh two-part question um 
right at the start, you talked about the amount of uh, investment you've been involved in. I think I, I'd, I'd noted down $4 billion, which is not, <laughs> not a small amount uh, of capital. So firstly, just I would love you to share, you know, if people are listening who are involved in an investment round or planning some form of investment, any any tips and pearls of wisdom based on what you've seen over the years in terms of how to approach you know raising raising capital that's that's kind of the first part of the question and the second part to kind of end today's conversation is just your thoughts on how investors have changed in the last year or so in terms of are investors looking at different you mentioned a couple of metrics already which i think is is crucial but any other insights you've got in terms of how investors are changing the way that they're looking at, uh, you know, but biotechs as potential funding, and indeed some of the partners that they're involved with in the outsourcing space. So we'd love you to tackle those final two questions, and then I promise to let you go, Alan. No, no always a pleasure. So uh, no, <laughs> no, no worries. But I, those are good questions. Really good question. I, I, I would say, you know, in terms, you know. Funding environment, I would say, you know, you, I, my my suggestion is you should. It's it's and these are glimpses of the obvious. Is you know, it's much easier if you have data, <laughs> uh, and if you don't, and, and and even with data uh, or without data, I think you really got to bring your own beer to the party if you're going to run to raise money with the least amount of pain. Uh, so yeah, meaning inside investors, current investors. And if you have that with data, I think it makes it a much easier transaction. If you do it without data, it makes it a less painful transaction. Uh, in, in terms of what investors are looking for uh, these days, I would say right now they're looking uh, for self-preservation. <laughs> First and foremost, and I think that manifests itself in that they want to almost take an open book test before they write a check. And and a lot of at least the specialists are looking to come on go to Wall Cross. They're looking to come on the CDA. And they actually want to see the de-risking data uh before they invest. And then they then they kind of get cleansed with the with the, the announcement of the data. But that that kind of sh- underscores the fact that it's no longer a tell me story. But it is a show me story. Yeah, oh, I love that. And what a what a brilliant way uh, to end uh, our second conversation, Alan. And I really hope uh, it's a you know it'll be one of many. I am getting to look, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person very soon, which is very very exciting, Alan. And uh, beyond that, you know, thank you again for coming on Molecule to Market. Our listeners will gain a huge amount from your perspective. Uh, across the biotech companies that you work for and the wealth of experience that you that you have so thank you for coming back on and it goes without saying Alan, but we wish you all the best for the for the year ahead i i appreciate that it's always a lot of fun always great to see you and and look forward to uh meeting you in person in a couple of weeks very much so very much so thanks thanks alan uh, cheers hi again thanks for tuning in to today's show really hope you enjoyed the episode for more shows have a look on spotify 
Apple, or Amazon, wherever you like to listen. And do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically. And please get in touch via our website at Molecule to Market Pod or via LinkedIn or Twitter. We love to hear from you. So if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that you think would make a great guest on Molecule to Market, then please let us know. We'll see you very soon. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.